you're looking for where you belong, if you feel isolated, alone, perpetually out of place, just seeking a greater purpose for exactly what life is, and you feel like you're isolated at Highlands Community Church, you are surrounded by love on all sides. Amen, Highlands Community Church. You find yourself now in a place surrounded by people who love God and are here to show you love. And if you don't experience the love of God when you walk into Highlands Community Church, then we failed you. This is your home. This is your family. We together are the body of Christ. Though we are varied, we are different. We come from multiple ethnicities, multiple, multiple cultural backgrounds, multiple nations, but together we are one in Christ. Like the various notes assembled to form a chord. Look at this picture of a chord written on musical notation. If you've never read music before, this is a C major seven chord. The lowest note is middle C, but that is E and G and then B. And these four pitches, when resounding together, produce a sound collectively that is more beautiful than any of these notes is individually, isolated and on its own. This is similar to the harmony that should exist within the church. Though we are different, we have varying spiritual gifts, we have different spiritual callings collectively together, we are more beautiful than we were as individuals. If you're looking for your calling, looking for your place, striving to see where it is that you belong, it is here. And the chord is not complete without your voice. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16. In the original Greek, this is all one big beautiful, glorious, perfect run-on sentence. I don't believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Why? Because when I read Hebrews in the original Greek, it's grammatically perfect. <laughs> this is one big run-on sentence. You can hear Paul's passion, and he cannot abide mere punctuation at a moment like this. This is perfect, more perfect apparently than the confines of Greek grammar. Listen to Paul's passion and listen to the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul as he describes what's happening in this room, what's going to happen today. And hear the clarion call for unity in the body of Christ, that you would take your place here, answer God's calling on your life, Help grow the church in unity and love. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, that's us, Highlands Community Church, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow 
up in every way into Him who is the head and into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You take your place in the harmony Sing your pitch, obey your calling, use your gifts, and watch the body of Christ grow itself in love as we speak the truth to one another in love, as we use our gifts together in love, as we obey God's calling upon our lives together in love. The opening verse, verse 11, names these five offices of leadership within the body of Christ. They are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. They're distinctive, but also have overlap. They share a common ancestry. And I hope to give us a flyover from Old Testament to New of where some of these New Testament offices came about and to provide distinctions between those whose purposes have been fulfilled with the glory of God and those which I believe apply today in our context in which you can step forward in obedience today before you leave this place. I know what it's like to have this gifting to teach, but not have like an outlet for it. Not have like a consistent place to walk in obedience to it. In fact, that was me like 18 months ago. Having this gifting and calling on my life to teach, but then wondering what it would be like when I stood in judgment before God. Could I say in good conscience that I did everything I could in obedience to the gifting that I had to teach? So I built this website so that whenever I traveled, as I was riding and, and working at Lifeway, so that wherever I was, whether I was speaking at a church or speaking at a seminary or in a classroom somewhere or just like in the hotel lobby, if I had to, to set up and go live on this website to teach through the gospel of John to evangelize my friends. And now I've given that platform to some of the guys that I'm mentoring, discipling, teaching how to preach. If you are in that similar tension, I know what that's like. I know what that's like to have this gifting to teach but not have a clear outlet for it. If you're looking for a clear word from God about how you would walk forward in obedience, that calling to teach, this is it. It doesn't get any clearer. There's literally a word from God about teaching. Today's your day. Okay? You are hereby put to work by this text. Welcome to Highlands Community Church. We'll put you to work. <laughs> Verse 11 lists apostles first. All right, the office of apostle was initially occupied by the 12 disciples who became apostles. All right, they became apostles temporarily in Matthew 10. They're sent out, given authority by God to perform miracles and to speak on God's behalf. That includes Judas. That's fascinating, right? And then they came back again. That was the dress rehearsal for the apostolic age that would break history in half and determine forevermore what year we would call it based on its proximity to the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, the 12 disciples became 11 disciples when Judas, stricken with remorse for what he had done, betraying Jesus, committed suicide. And so, the 11 remaining disciples, now apostles, determined like we need to, we need to have a 12th, 12th, uh, the, the 12th disciple, the 12th apostle speaks to the completion. There are 12 tribes of Israel, so there should be 12 apostles. There are 12 gates in the heavenly city, there should be 12 apostles. And so they found these two guys from among them who had been with them since the baptism of Jesus, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, until the ascension of Jesus. 
And they cast lots. This is the last time you ever see that used in scripture to determine which of these two guys it was and it fell to Matthias who stepped into the role of apostle. And then there was another apostle appointed later. That is our own earthly author, Paul. He's, he is confronted by the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. The apostles were given authority by God to speak on his behalf. They, they, they contributed to the written word as we know it by writing through divine inspiration were given the power as well by God to perform miracles. Now the apostles, the apostolic age, I believe has come to a close. It's a profound and important ministry. The apostolic age was punctuated by persecution in the opening of the book of Acts whereby the apostles scattered all the more. And as they were persecuted, they fled. And as they fled, they shared the gospel along the way. And as they shared the gospel along the way, the gospel began to radiate out from its epicenter in Jerusalem, whereby Jesus' prophecy was absolutely realized. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. There are cultural implications to that and to the ends of the earth. The apostolic age was tremendous. It was beautiful. The apostles did what God called them to do. And much of the Bible was written through that apostolic age. So apostles had the gift of prophecy, but they bear a distinctive office from that of the prophet. Apostle and prophet are different words. There's some overlap, but their distinctive office is nonetheless, hence the two different words here in the text. A prophet was one whose ministry may be more localized. For example, Jeremiah was born and appointed a prophet to the nations before he was born, but much of his prophetic ministry was just speaking directly to the king of Judah, who didn't listen. He had a more localized ministry. What's so cool about Jeremiah's ministry is that he was speaking to every nation, but he was speaking to every nation through what he could not yet then know would be the published word of God that goes out to all nations, right? So Jeremiah's ministry was more localized. Prophets and apostles both spoke under divine inspiration. That's where we get scripture from. Every apostle was a prophet, but a prophet was not an apostle. Does that make sense? the two offices of apostle and prophet. Peter, who was an apostle, was a disciple, who was a disciple actually who had a reputation for putting his foot in his mouth, writes about what it was like to receive inspiration from the Holy Spirit, whereby we would get scripture as we know it today. When I say scripture, I'm talking about the 66 canonized books of the Protestant Bible. I mean, Christian, you may, you may have been walking with God for a long time, you may have had some really intense times in the word with God. You may have had some, you may have abided in deep fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God through worship, but can you imagine what it was like to be the recipient of the word of God? To be the recipient of the book of the Ephesians. Peter gives us a glimpse into that process. Here's 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, I was there. I'm describing what I saw with my own eyes and heard with my own ears. I heard the voice of God, Peter says. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Oh, culture is dark. It could use a word from God right now, amen? Hey, guess what? We have it. It's here. 
Here's how Peter describes it. He describes it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's describing the sacred moment. There's a blessed degree of audacity in the ministry of a prophet, but that audacity is secondhand. God, rightfully audacious, speaks that which is counterintuitive to sinful man whose innate proclivities are lustful and who is incapable by his own means of being neutral in regards to the truth. Neutrality as per sinful man is a myth. We cannot perceive and know truth by ourselves, by our own means, because our devices are corrupted by our sin nature. But a perfect God may speak through fallible men. This is the means whereby scripture came about. A perfect God speaking through imperfect men. And I love that because I'm imperfect. And I resonate with the perfection behind these imperfect messengers. Because Peter put his foot in his mouth, I can read words like these and say, those didn't come from him. I know he's speaking under divine inspiration. And because I'm not perfect, it gives me hope. Because it's not up to me and my own conduct and my own righteousness. It's the Holy Spirit of God who brings about efficacious ministry in my life. That is the story of Peter. And I proudly take my place in his ranks, bumbling though he is, he serves a perfect God. He was one of the means through whom this work of prophecy came about. We named our children for these prophets. Austin's middle name is Elijah. He is named for the prophet who stood down over 400 prophets, Baal. They tried to call out to their God to consume the offering that they had put forth for him and nobody came after crying out and mutilating themselves day and night, trying to get Baal to answer. And then there on Mount Carmel, Elijah calls upon Yahweh. God sends fire from heaven to consume the offering, the altar, and the water in the trench. And likewise, my son, Austin Elijah Campbell, may one day be outnumbered 400 to one. My prayers that he would call out to God, God would send fire from heaven. Asher Noah Campbell, I asked him about this last week. You know what your name means? Like, I know, I know, Noah was the only one who stood by what God said, even though everybody else didn't believe that God had wrath. Noah said that God had wrath and you want me to do the same thing one day. <laughs> so I gave him some candy. Asa Riley Campbell. Asa is named for this good king who brought people back to the word of God. They'd forgotten God's word, but good king Asa brought them back. He brought back the word of God and there may come a day whereby Asa likewise will remind people God wrote a book and bring forth the word of God to those who have forgotten about it. Autumn Grace, named for the outpouring of the grace of God, a reminder of the grace of God in so many ways, an embodiment of the grace of God, a curly-haired, very fast-moving embodiment of the grace of God. <laughs> Here in, in our, our next-gen ministries in her classroom, her, her, the, the, the loving teachers who care for her can always say, I can tell she has a lot of big brothers. <laughs> She's used to playing with boys, and she goes crazy. And then Aiden Isaiah Campbell, Middle name Isaiah for the prophet who saw God in the year King Uzziah died. And what strikes my bride and I is that 
He sees God now. Named our children for these prophets of God. And when they are older and in their rebellious teenage years, those names will become very inconvenient, but they will not be able to shake them. (laughs) They are branded in the name of discipleship for life, for the prophets of God. So the prophets prophesied, the apostles spread the kingdom of God. And then in the year 89 AD, whereabouts roughly, the book of Revelation was inspired to John. There comes a seal upon prophecy. This is to say that the word of God is complete. And the book of Revelation, I believe, contains a seal that doesn't just apply merely to Revelation, but to the whole collective of scripture because it's found only in Revelation. Revelation happens to be the final inspired book speaking a word of warning over anybody who takes a word away from this word of prophecy or adds a word to this prophecy. So today, the gift of prophecy looks different. Today, to prophesy is to speak the words of God. Now, when you prophesy, when you spoke the words of God before the canon of Scripture was complete, this would entail describing events that would take place before they took place. Jesus met with John and spoke to him directly in Revelation. This, I'm gonna tell you now what must take place after this. The book of Daniel described futuristic events. The book of Amos contained prophecies for Israel. The book of Ezekiel contained prophecies. Right? The book of Thessalonians contained prophecies. The book of Corinthians even, the 15th chapter of Corinthians even, includes prophecies. There are prophecies in the book of, in every book of the Bible, but these were written before the prophetic age had come to a close. So in that era, the work of a prophet would include describing events that would take place before they took place. Today, exercising the gift of prophecy is exactly what's happening right now, just speaking the words of God. Now this brings us into the next three offices, the first of which is evangelist. Now I recognize this is describing a unique office because there are some who are uniquely gifted to evangelize. However, know this, In a way, we are all on the hook at this point, Highlands Community Church, because the Great Commission came with no qualifiers. There are no footnotes in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We've all been called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded us. That's why we go book by book through the Bible as a church together. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. Not everybody is called to that particular office, but everybody is given the great commission. So every one of us must then do the work of an evangelist. Do you feel the weight of this mantle you've inherited? I mean, look at that. The office of evangelist is on par and including the same list as the office of apostle and prophet. Next comes evangelist. You feel the holy weight of that? Every one of us is on the hook for this one, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that means that right there by the water cooler at Boeing, when you share Romans 10, nine with your coworker on your smartphone, you are stepping into a legacy that was established by Isaiah the prophet who saw God in his throne room in the year that King Uzziah died. You step into the tradition of Elijah who stood down the prophets of Baal. To do the work of an evangelist is to step into a holy office appointed by God described here in Ephesians 4. Though some have the gift of evangelism in this unique office described some more frequently than others, every one of us in a way has the burden, has the calling, has the privilege of evangelism. 
apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd is next. Shepherds oversee the flock. Pastoralism was central to the Eastern economy. In the Old Testament day, the image of like a shepherd overseeing his flock was used of God to give us multiple teachings throughout scripture. It was foreshadowed in Old Testament ways and embodied in New Testament realities. When David wrote the Psalms, he drew upon his experience as a shepherd boy. Can you see now Psalm 23? God's rod and staff, they comfort me. David himself was a shepherd. You see God getting him ready to write that while he was serving as a shepherd boy. The shepherd imagery was ubiquitous throughout the book of Isaiah. Let's just take a quick look at Isaiah 63 over, over my head here. Isaiah 63, 11 through 14 describes the people of Israel as the sheep and God shepherding them through Moses. Here's the final verse of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 65, 25 describes the work of a shepherd completed. The book of Jeremiah, look at Jeremiah 50, verse six, uses the word shepherd 20 times. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. This is part of the reason for Jeremiah's ministry. Ezekiel, in the wake of the catastrophe of 586 BC, describes God as the good shepherd. Look at Ezekiel 20. Now in the New Testament, look at Mark's gospel, Mark 14, verse 27. Now Jesus looks upon the people of Israel like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's speaking to his disciples. They are the sheep. They're going to be scattered. He is the shepherd. Look at Matthew's gospel. Excuse me. This is where Jesus looks upon the people of Israel like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then notice the crucial transition that takes place in the very next verses. He looks at Israel, they look like sheep without a shepherd, and so he puts his disciples to work. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then the very next verse, the opening of chapter 10 comes, that temporary, temporary apostolic ministry. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction you begin to see a transition in Jesus's ministry in the gospels at this juncture, whereby he is the shepherd, Israel, the sheep, and now he sets his path toward the cross more directly, wherein he will become the lamb, and then his disciples will become the shepherds. He puts them to work, and he himself takes on the role of the sacrificial lamb. So this role of the shepherd has roots deep in the Old Testament. All the while, they were foreshadowing, I believe, what's happening in this room right now, Highlands Community Church. This brings us to teachers. If you lead in next-gen ministries, if you lead a D group, if you teach in students, if you teach in children's ministries, if you lead an adult small group, would you stand up, please, so we can just thank you? If you lead a group, any age level in this church. Could you thank our teachers? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Teachers, look, we're, we're studying you. Do you see this? You are a rock star. This is describing your calling. This is what you do. You may do things throughout the week that will eventually be forgotten and expire. But when you sit down 
with a group of 10th graders and you share with them from the book of Ephesians, what you're stepping into is an office of eternal significance. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, do not grow weary in doing good because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Thank you, those who teach in this church. Oh, it's so significant. It's so beautiful. I'm so grateful for you. I need you. You are my co-pilots. You're my co-pilots as we go book by book through the word of God together. If you didn't know this, all of Next Gen Ministries, all of Next Gen Ministries from babies and toddlers, elementary school, middle school, and high school are all aligned on the same curriculum. And many of our adult groups are aligned in that exact same curriculum. It's right here. And we have some books that are for free out in the lobby if you want to take one. If you have the gift to teach, but you haven't followed through on it, I want you to email Zeb, whose email address is available here. Okay? His phone's gonna be like blowing up today. Email Zeb and tell him, Ephesians 4 is really getting to me. Like God's speaking to me. I know I've got to teach and I haven't been obedient to that calling. And Zeb will help vet you and make sure this is what God's called you to do. Yeah, but Jesse, I feel intimidated by the idea of teaching. Like teaching requires a curriculum and a plan and like I'm not all that well studied. I know I've got to teach, but I don't have clear direction. Well, here's the good news. Our whole church can align around this curriculum which works in conjunction with what I preach. Do you know that most preachers just preach whatever they want to preach? Man, that must be, must be nice. I have foregone that prerogative. It's for you, teachers, group leaders. I've chosen to build my whole sermon plan around this so that you and I work together as you use your gift to teach right here at Highlands Community Church. Now, in books like Ephesians, one of the quintessential theological treatises of the New Testament, we are walking in lockstep verse by verse at the exact same time. And you have this book that takes you through it, that gives you the context so you understand the original biblical world so you can rightly apply scripture. And then you go verse by verse through it together as a group wherein people can ask questions, can discuss it, and can share ways in which they are applying it. Different groups can go to different depths theologically, but everybody in the whole church is aligned together in a book by book plan through the word. Seventh grade guys are gonna apply the same text very differently from a group of retirees, amen, right? But the word means the same thing in both groups, amen? Right, it doesn't change meanings from seventh grade to retirement. It means what it means, but we apply it differently. Now, the next set of books we're going through is Numbers and Deuteronomy. And I, I've asked the staff to print out, every time we have a book coming up, I ask them to show the whole book on one wall. And we did that originally in the conference room, but Genesis covered up every single book on the shelf and every wall. It was way too big. So instead, we're in the studio, which is right beneath my feet right now. If you happen to go into that studio, you'll see why the staff was a little concerned for me. Because the whole book of Numbers is outlined on it, and it looks like I took a pen or a highlighter and had like a violent breakdown down. Because I went through and I highlighted every passage that the curriculum covers, and then I picked the most difficult passages between those passages so that I would teach them. You are my co-pilot teachers. So you lead discussions of the most theologically prominent passages, right? And we, the preachers of Highlands, tackle the most difficult passages. And then together, as individuals, we're all reading side by side. So if you're new to Highlands, grab a reading plan from the welcome desk outside, join in with our reading plan, 
Join a group that goes book by book through the Bible, and then you'll see why I preach the passages that I preach. If you are a teacher, praise God for your ministry. You are my co-pilot. I'm so grateful for you. Email Zeb today. Why? Verse 12, so that the saints would be equipped for the work of ministry. Churches that don't get this often don't grow. Right? This is the purpose of the ministry of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. This is not where ministry ends. You understand? Sure, what happens here in this room is legitimate and real and life-changing ministry. Absolutely. We see people saved in this room all the time. Praise God for it. You can apply the scripture right here at the altar. That can happen. You can apply scripture right outside in the lobby as you're praying with somebody through what just happened as we looked at the word of God. But in many respects, this is not the end of ministry. Rather, this is the beginning of ministries wherein the scripture is applied after you leave these doors and you go out into the community. We are Highlands Community Church, after all, amen? So this is not where you come to be fed and this is where ministry ends. Rather, the purpose of this is to equip you for ministry. Do not be confused by the configuration of the room where everybody is facing one direction except for one dude who's facing the opposite direction. Don't look in this room and say, that's the dude who does ministry. Therefore, this church has one minister. Oh no, oh no. This church has over 2,000 ministers. You come here to be equipped for the work of ministry. And when churches don't get that, they don't grow. This is for the building up of the body of Christ. You see that in verse 12? We are in the least church state in the US. Let the church grow. Let the body of Christ be built up as every member is a minister. And when I pray that, I don't just pray that over Highlands Community Church. Every church in Renton and Kent could double in size and we would still not be reaching enough people. Let every church that teaches the word of God grow, amen? So be equipped by this Bible to go out and to do ministry that the church may be built up. The body of Christ may be built up. See this word body of Christ? We're getting ready to take communion at the conclusion of this message. We as the body of Christ, verse 12, are gonna remember the broken body of Christ as Jesus himself went to the cross. Let the church grow, let it grow, let it grow as the saints do the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain unity in the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The Greek word for manhood here is andra, which is synonymous with husband throughout the New Testament. That's gonna be especially important as we continue in the book of Ephesians. When we get to chapter five, everybody's gonna be offended and mad at me. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Jesus is depicted here as the husband because we are simultaneously symbolic of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. These are two concurrent images for the church. The word manhood and maturity in the full stature of Christ does not speak to machismo per se. I've heard this text used at men's retreats as the basic thesis. Here's the thing. Have you seen like macho man like themes so far in the book of Ephesians and Ephesians chapter four? No. Don't get me wrong. I love a good push-up contest as much as the next man. I will chug a bottle of hot sauce right here on this stage. 
I love men's retreats, but you've got to ignore what the whole chapter is about in order to come to that conclusion with the word, the use of the word manhood. Rather, mature manhood, the full stature of Christ in verse 13 is offered in juxtaposition to immaturity in verse 14. See the word children in the next verse? See that no longer be children. Verse 13 speaks to a mature church full-grown church in maturity and full stature, wherein each of us is acting according to our gifts. We are functioning fully as God has called us to do. So we are maturity and the full stature of Christ, representing Christ as a grown man, rather than like children who are tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. By all means, if you want to start a men's retreat and use that verse as the thesis, do it, bro. But make sure you also give full context so that we understand this is actually instructions for a church and the body of Christ. So verse 13 says you can be spiritually mature and confident in your knowledge of Christ so that, verse 14, you won't be tossed to and fro by every new wind of doctrine that comes around. You can be spiritually mature with a confident knowledge of Christ and his word, verse 13, instead of being deceived by human cunning, verse 14. Do you see that in verse 14? Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Always be skeptical of a new doctrinal trend in Christianity. I'm always skeptical of doctrinal fads that come and go. I've been caught up in these myself. When I was a freshman in high school, this book on prayer came out. It's a tiny little book. And I don't wanna name the title of the author because he's such a great man of God. He's serving faithfully as a a missionary now. And he wrote a follow-up book that kind of made up for some of the stuff that he led people astray with. But it talked about praying this certain prayer from the Old Testament, asking God to enlarge your territory, and he would. Here's the problem with that is that it was a misapplication of that passage, and it really messed up my prayer life. But I got caught up in that doctrine. I wasn't yet fully mature. Full, I wasn't yet a full-grown man in my faith. I wasn't rooted firmly enough in the word of God just yet. Do you guys remember when Harold Camping claimed to know the exact time or the hour of the return of Christ. How many times has that happened? All right, Matthew 24 is very clear. Jesus is fully capable of speaking for himself, okay? And he has spoken. And he said that no man knows the time or the hour. So when you see another Christian teaching a false doctrine of knowing the exact time or the hour, you know, my takeaway is it's definitely not that time or hour. You can know what time it's not based on who comes up with a new doctrine to say it's, he's coming back at this hour. All right, noted. <laughs> it's not going to be then. No man knows the time or the hour. Don't be deceived by every cunning, every new doctrine that comes about. Moreover, this doesn't just happen in the church. This happens elsewhere as well. Do you, do you know how many doomsday prophecies have come and gone? Like how many times have we been told that the world is ending and we have no chance of reversing the trend? Okay, like leading Harvard biologist said, we have 15 years to save the human race and there's nothing we can do about it. That was 1970. Okay, like simultaneously, like in 1970, we were told like the whole earth is freezing over. The ice age is imminent. And then later on, we were told the whole state of Florida is gonna be completely flooded by the year 2016. All right, and that won an Oscar. And now it's, we're all going to be on fire, just fire everywhere, fire here and then fire and then fire under that and fire. Like we're supposed to be simultaneously, we should have been simultaneously frozen and on fire and underwater by now. <laughs> and I get it, I get it. Okay, be a good Washingtonian, take out your compost, do your recycling, 
take care of the environment, all right? We as Christians have been tasked with the care for his, his, his creation. However, don't be swept away by another doomsday scam, okay? Don't be swept away by that stuff. Be mature in your faith, planted in the word where God promised never to flood the earth again. Right, don't, be, don't be deceived by every new wind of teaching, every shiny new thing that people throw themselves after. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You speak the, tr- speak the truth and you speak the truth in love. Some people are really good at one or the other. You have your friend who you know will speak the truth, does not give a rip about your feelings, you're really good about just speaking the truth. The truth, deal with it. There's no love there. And he can make the truth ugly. It's difficult, right? Or what about your friend who speaks only, only loving things? Yeah, but what about when it's difficult? Like what about when I've got sin in my life and I need to be confronted? I don't talk about those things. <laughs> only what is pleasant. Only when the Seahawks are winning. Only love, only happy things, never the truth. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm clearly in sin and I need you to call me out on it. Only happiness, Bob Ross spirituality. (laughs) These two ideas are not mutually exclusive. You understand, you can speak the truth in love. That's what we're called to do. Speak the truth, don't be a jerk with it, Speak the truth in love, but don't avoid difficult things from God's word. Speak the truth in love that we would grow in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As every note, every pitch within the chord takes its place, it grows in harmony. Would you welcome Jesse Ketchum to the platform again as he helps me illustrate this. All right, now my, my music degree is in percussion, so you're gonna have to show me grace, okay? I'm gonna help get us started, but I want us to sing in harmony together. As a beautiful illustration of, of the body of Christ, that we each have different giftings and callings, right? We're gonna sing this song. Jesse, would you start us off as a picture of both musically of that which is true spiritually? Know to be like you, I give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you, forever the hope in my heart. Can we sing it again, all of us? Can we sing it in harmony? Lead us. Know to be like you. I give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. Oh, it's so beautiful. People of God singing in harmony together. Everybody's singing a different pitch from a different cultural background, a different spiritual gifting, but all together more beautiful when combined than we are apart. Would you come home because the chord's not complete, the harmony's not complete without your voice. 
If you've been looking for where you belong and trying to figure out who you are and whose you are, all the while, this text has been describing it. If you've been skeptical and running away from God, would you come home today to the family of God? If the Holy Spirit of God is drawing upon your heart. Would you take your place? Let your voice be heard. Let the harmony grow as the body of Christ grows. As you take your place right here at home, give your life to Jesus with me in prayer right now. God, I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not die but have everlasting life. I confess that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe that Jesus is the truth. I believe that Jesus is the life and I know there's no way I can come to you, Father, except through Jesus. So right here and now, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Highlands Community Church, would you say Jesus is Lord? Say it, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now God, let me be saved. Let me be saved. Let me be saved. Grow the church together as we grow together. Oh God, thank you for new believers. Now listen, if you just gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ, I want you to take bread as we distribute it now. Let's distribute, let's distribute the bread.